Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading in the Gospel of John. You may be seated. We begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have sent your Son Jesus to us and that you have gathered us here so that we might hear his word and receive it in faith. Lord, we come to you today confessing that there are a lot of things in this life that we tend to put before your Son, and yet you continue to graciously provide him for us. So help us, Lord, to receive your word this day, to believe it and trust it with joy. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever come to an end of a movie or the end of a story and found yourself asking the question, what happens next? I know this always happens to me when I watch Disney movies. We watch a lot of Disney movies in our home. And whenever we come to the end of those stories, I always want to know what happens next. Like, I know that they say everybody lives happily ever after, but I want to know what does that look like? What does happily ever after actually look like? Like with Cinderella, does she grow up and, you know, she has kids, I'm sure, and do do her kids have to deal with wicked step-aunts, right? Is that the problem that they have to deal with? Or Prince Charming. Think about Prince Charming. Does Prince Charming retain his charm when he starts to develop a receding hairline? Is he continually that charming? Or maybe the Seven Dwarfs. Like the Seven Dwarfs have a pretty lucrative diamond mining business, but what happens when the Shane Company comes along and buys up the mines? Do they continue to retain authority there? Do things fall apart? What happens? These are the things, you guys, that keep me up at night. What happens next? Now, I find myself not just with these uh, uh, fairy tales, but I find myself asking this question very often when I read through the Gospels. And when I go through the New Testament, I come across these historical accounts, and very often I wonder, what happens next? What happens to the people that Jesus encounters? Those people that encounter the miracles, what happens after Jesus does this for them? Is it happily ever after, or is it something else? I mean, you think of maybe the woman at the well. After Jesus meets the woman at the well, does she get her life back together? Or or the guy who had been possessed by all those demons and Jesus casts the demons into the pigs and the pigs fall into the sea. What happens to the guy who owned the pigs? What happens to his business? Or maybe Barabbas. You remember Barabbas, the guy who uh, Jesus took his place on the cross? Does Barabbas ever realize that the guy who died in his place was actually the son of God? I wonder about those things. I I wish I kind of knew what happens next. But now today as we come to our reading from the Gospel of John, both we'll see it this week and then actually the next two weeks, there's a lot of time spent here in John chapter 6, we actually find out what happens next after one of Jesus' miracles. And what we find is that it's not that great. It's not actually wonderful news. Today what we're going to find is is a crowd of people who chase Jesus down the day after he has fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. Those people woke up the next morning and they were still hungry. And so they chased Jesus down to get more bread out of him. We actually get the answer to what happens next after Jesus feeds the 5,000. So what we're going to do today is we're going to start to get into this text, but over the next three weeks, uh, we spend a lot of time with this chapter 6 in John, where John tells us how the people didn't really get what Jesus was up to. 
And so the account reads like this. The night before, of course, Jesus fed all these thousands of people, and most likely they slept very well with very full bellies. And over the night, Jesus decided he wanted to get away from the people for a while, so he sent his disciples across the sea, and then later on throughout the night, he caught up to them while he was walking on the water. Next morning, the people wake up, really enjoying their nice full bellies from a nice sleep, but realize now their stomachs were growling, and they start looking around for the bread man. They start looking around for the guy who could make them breakfast, and he's nowhere to be found. So after some detective work, after some sleuthing, they figure that Jesus must have gone to the other side of the sea, and so they run around the lake so they can get to him, and they meet up with him there. You know, their intentions are very clear to Jesus. They want more bread, but I love how sort of uh, passive-aggressive they are when they find Jesus. They find him and they say, oh, Rabbi, it's you. (laughs) When did you get here? (laughs) How did you arrive here? And now here is where the what happens next begins to get a bit disappointing. Because these people had just taken part in one of the great miracles in all of the New Testament, one of the great miracles in the history of the world. Jesus had fed just these thousands upon thousands of people with five loaves and two fish. And what should have happened next is the people should have said, this is a guy who must be from God. We've got to listen to him. We've got to follow him. He's somebody we can trust. He's somebody we should get behind. But instead they say to themselves, how can we use this guy? How can we leverage those powers to get us a good breakfast? Dinner was great. We want more food. Jesus performed the miracle so these people would begin to trust in him. But these people want to use the miracle to get more out of Jesus. And Jesus knows it. They're not interested in Jesus. They're interested in their bellies. So Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has has set his seal. Here's where people are getting it wrong. They think Jesus is there, and they're almost kind of treating him like a genie, somebody they can use to get what they want out of this life. They can use Jesus. For more bread. They have this picture in their mind that the thing that matters most is their meal. And they want Jesus to have the same idea, and so they come to him to get more food out of him. We're so often like this when it comes to dealing with God. We have this idea of what the perfect life looks like. We have this idea of what we should have in this life. And if we're going to be happy in this life, there's certain things we think that we need. And we come to God with that list, that menu, those requests that we have. We come to him and we say, if we want the good life, if you want to be our God, you're going to give us these things. And this is how we deal with God. But this is the problem. And the problem, I think, is actually in that phrase, dealing with God. God is not someone to be bartered with, that we make deals with. We don't get to come to God and use him to make our life work the way we want it to work. God doesn't work for us on our terms. He doesn't work that way. Perhaps the problem is, you see, that we're focused too much on secondary things, on the things of this world. Or when it comes to Jesus, Jesus wants to deal with, us, deal with us in terms of ultimate matters, things that truly matter, our relationship with God and with him. 
And so we come to him telling him, here's what we want out of life. We want you to solve our problems, fix our relationships, give us a comfortable living, and fill our bellies with bread. Of course, those aren't bad things, but again, they're secondary things. And we want God to deal with the secondary things before we get to the ultimate things. So we want to be in control because we think we know what matters. We want to be in charge of God. And as we come to the passage today, what we're going to find is that these crowds, they try and control God in two ways. They try and control God and get what they want out of him in two different ways. And I think we see these things very often cropping up in our own lives as well. So let's get into the text and see what it is exactly the people do. Jesus, again, we repeat the words of Jesus here. He says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. That is, he's saying here, and kind of what we're just getting at, stop focusing on the secondary things and fix your eyes on me, the author and perfecter of your faith. I'll take care of the bread. Seek ye first, he says in another place, the kingdom of God. And all of these things will be added unto you as well. Just trust me. But the crowds aren't interested in trust. They're not interested in faith. They're interested in bread. So this is where they go wrong. Then they said to him, okay, well, what must we do to be doing the works of God. In other words, they're saying here, what do we need to do to get God to give us the bread? They're treating God like we would treat any other sort of uh, business relationship that we have. We do our part and God will pay us. It's just like when you go to work, right? You go to work, you show up on time, you do your job, you leave on time, and you get paid. Your boss owes you the money. This is how they're thinking of their relationship with God. What do we need to do to get the bread? You give us the work schedule, we'll do it, and then God will pay us. But notice what they're doing here. It's subtle, but they're trying to control God in this way. Because they're thinking, if we do our part, then God is bound to do his. If we earn the pay, then God has to pay us. You give us the work, then you owe us the the bread. We perform, and you reward. We meet your demands, and then you have to meet ours. We perform your list. You give us eternal bread. And they're treating God as someone to be dealt with and bartered with. But Jesus isn't talking here today about food that is to be earned. He's talking about himself whom God is giving to them as a gift. And so he says, this is the work of God. You want to talk about the work of God you want to do? It's not really work at all. It's that you believe in him whom he has sent. He's saying that you trust in me. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not talking to you about secondary issues like eating bread. I'm talking to you about God sending me to save you. I'm talking about God sending me into your presence. I'm the bread we're talking about here. And you want to earn it? You don't have to earn it. I'm already here in your presence. I'm here giving myself to you. Just take it and eat it, if you will. I'm not here to deal with you so that you can eat food, Jesus said. I'm here to give you heaven I'm here to grant you the forgiveness of your sins. I'm here to reconcile you to God through my death. I'm here to defeat Satan and to shut the gaping mouth of the grave forever. And there's nothing for you really to do at all. Just receive it. Just take it. I'm here for you if you can believe it. This is exactly how it is for you and for me. Too often we're coming to God for secondary things and we're forgetting Jesus. Our eyes aren't fixed on Christ. We want to deal with issues that God, uh, we want to deal with our issues. And we don't want to listen to what God has to say. 
We want God to focus on our problems and we don't focus on the word that he speaks. But he's got so much more for us in mind than we can possibly hope or imagine. C.S. Lewis wrote it this way, and I think this is a marvelous passage. He says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Jesus is saying, you are far too easily pleased. Come to the holiday at sea. I will take care of you. I will give you everything you need. I have come for things that are so much more important than you can possibly hope or imagine. Just trust me. And it's amazing. Jesus has come to give us God as a good and kind Father. He's come to give us heaven, forgiveness, and real, true joy. And all of this for free. All of it is a gift for you, not to be earned, not because you deserve it. It's quite the opposite, in fact. He's come to give it to you by grace. This is what Christ has come to do. And Jesus says this to the crowds. And the crowds say, we're still thinking about our bellies. We're still kind of hungry. We're still interested in bread. And so instead of listening to Jesus and trusting him, they decide to put their cards on the table. They start, they, in fact, they turn the table on God. And it's as though they say, okay, if God's not going to make demands of us, then we're going to make demands of him. It's time for us to be in charge. We really do want to be in control. And if you want us to follow you, if you want us to listen to you, give us the bread. This is what they say. Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? A really funny thing to say after the feeding of the 5,000 last night. Anyhow. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. In other words, prove yourself to us by giving us the bread. Prove it. Prove it that we should trust you. Do something to get us to trust you. Give us the bread now. And it does seem kind of strange that they would be asking for proof from Jesus. As the night before, he had just fed thousands of them with five loaves and two fish. But if you begin to think about it, their demand of him kind of makes sense. Because if their God is their belly, they're going to expect everything else to bow down to that God, and true, including the one true God. They're going to demand that he meets their needs if he wants, if they, uh, they're going to demand that he meets their needs if he wants their faith. And if he wants trust in him, he'd better give us the bread. He'd better earn it. See, what they're doing here is what we so often do. They're treating God like a waiter at a restaurant. They're coming to God and saying, here's what we want. If you want our service, if you want us to pay for you, and if you want us to be repeat customers, you're going to bring us our order, you're going to bring it on time, and you're going to give us it the way we want to get it. Like Burger King, the old Burger King phrase, have it your way. This is how we treat God. We come to you, and you give it to us our way, and then we'll think about following you, but you better, you better step up. You better prove yourself to us. 
And if we don't think we find this in our own lives, we don't think we're doing this to God, just think about this. I've heard this recently uh, a lot. If you've heard this phrase going on uh, throughout the, the Christian, American Christian culture, people talk a lot today about church shopping. Church shopping. They're looking for a church where they can worship God in a way that they feel comfortable. People are looking for a church where they can worship God on their terms, according to their likings and according to their wants. They want a church that they can customize for themselves so they can customize worship. But think about how strange that is. To say, we're going to tell God how we want to worship? We're going to do it in a way that works for us? We want everything to be comfortable and we don't want to think about what God has to say or what God has us to do or any of this stuff. We're simply thinking about ourselves and our own bellies. We're too busy making mud pies in the slums to realize that Jesus has something far greater and far more wonderful to give us. So what does Jesus do when we come with our menu? When we make our order? He throws the menu out. Jesus isn't going to give us control of God. He's not going to give us control at all. This Jesus just simply, this is the problem with Jesus, he just simply won't bow down and worship our bellies. And so we think to ourselves, this Jesus won't work for us on our terms? Well, what good is he? What good? He's the only true good there is. And he's got something far better to give to us than our preferences. He's come to give us himself. We say, give us this bread always. And Jesus says, I am. I am giving you this bread always. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is saying, listen to me, hear me. I'm the bread you need to eat. I give the water that quenches your thirst. You keep pursuing the things of this world, and in your pursuit, you will never be satisfied. Jim just nailed it in the children's message today. We continue to pursue the things in this world. We will never be satisfied. We will die hungry and in our sins. But again, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you as well. Jesus says, I've come to give you something totally different. I've come to give you eternal life. I've come to give you the bread from heaven that forgives your sins and reconciles you to God and gives you true peace. It's a bread you can't earn and you certainly can't demand it because God has already beat you to it. He's giving it to you for free. See, God doesn't come to work for you on your terms. Jesus doesn't come to work for you or I on our terms. He comes to die for us on the cross and to rise for us on his terms. Jesus Christ is the true bread who's no mere toast. He comes to give us his very body and his very blood for the forgiveness of our sins. He's come to give us life and salvation. If you want that happily ever after, if you want that life, if you want that holiday at sea, Jesus says to you today, I'm the gift you truly need. I'm the bread. Take and eat, take and drink. And you will never hunger or thirst again. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to us. That he has come not on our terms, but on yours. For your terms are that he would come and die for us and rise for us, reconcile us to you, and give us everlasting life. We thank you, Lord, that you work for our salvation. 
the name of your Son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.